San Diego County is nearing a dangerous event horizon with hospitals reaching their limit. Beds are not yet completely full, but that's not the point. Once staffing reaches its limits, not everyone will be able to receive the level of care you would expect. Here's what you need to know about the outbreak locally, which is likely to worsen in the coming weeks. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Paul Sisson, you're the lead COVID-19 writer at the San Diego Union-Tribune, and we've seen some troubling trends the past several weeks. Can you walk us through how our hospitals have been getting more full recently amid this surge? Right. Uh, you know, we've just seen the uh, the overall occupancy rate in our hospitals just con- continuing to climb pretty much since Halloween. Um, and now we're to the point where 80% of our intensive care beds across the county are full. Um, still mostly with non-COVID patients. Uh, COVID patients still make up a minority of all intensive care beds that are full. Um, the issue is you still got to treat everybody who doesn't have COVID. So it's not like you can just clear out everybody who doesn't have COVID and say the, the ICUs are 100% for COVID now. You need to treat people without this disease, uh, you know, who often have very severe illnesses that need immediate treatment uh, while you're also taking care of the COVID folks. So that's really the problem, you know, as we start to bump up against, uh, you know, 100% capacity, you have to start making tough decisions about who to treat and who to send home. Mm -hmm. And can you kind of explain the difference in workload that, you know, your average COVID-19 patient is on hospital staff compared to someone with, let's say, you know, a heart attack or stroke? Right. Uh, You know, COVID is a respiratory illness. Um, Once you get past the initial viral infection, uh, you know, this thing attacks your lungs, uh, also your cardiovascular system. Uh, So in these patients, they're going to be using a lot of respiratory support. Uh, Early on, they're treating them with several different medications uh, that can help with everything from blood clotting uh, to, you know, the amount of oxygen that you can continue to get into your lungs. Uh, for those who don't respond to those medications, then they end up putting them on, uh, you know, high flow oxygen uh, to help them breathe. If that doesn't work, they often end up intubating them and putting them on a mechanical ventilator, a breathing machine. Uh, you don't necessarily see all of that type of treatment for uh, somebody who's having a heart attack or something like that. A lot, a lot of times uh, with with heart attacks, uh, you know, you're you're in for monitoring. You might need some of this, uh, you know. Uh, medication support that, that uh, causes your, your blood vessels to uh, contract, uh, et cetera, uh, especially uh, you know, before or after surgery. So you might be in the intensive care for a few days to be on certain medications to have a high level of monitoring. You might need some breathing support, um, probably not as much as COVID. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor, so uh, you know, if you want more than that, you should, you should talk to somebody with an MD. <laughs> Certainly, but the point is, is that treating ICU patients with COVID takes a lot more manpower than your normal things that are in the ICU. So because of that, you need more staffing. And of course, this is happening all across the country. So that's the problem. Can you explain just how tenuous the situation when it comes to staffing at local hospitals right now? 
Right. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't quite follow your last question, but yeah, absolutely, it does take a lot uh, more staff to treat these COVID patients. Uh, you know, the main issue there is that you're dealing with an infectious disease, uh, so these patients are in uh, what they call negative pressure rooms uh, that that have basically an airlock in front of them to separate the air in that room from the rest of the hospital. So you know, you're constantly gowning up to go in there if you're a technician or, or doctor or what have you, and and then carefully removing that layer of uh, protective equipment when you when you leave you know they're turning these patients regularly to help them breathe and that can that can take seven eight nine different people to turn somebody over especially if they're on a ventilator and you're being very careful to avoid uh, dislodging their their breathing tube uh, so so yes uh, you know this puts a massive strain on on staff uh, you know often they filled the gaps with what they call traveler uh, nurses and, and other types of workers but because we've seen this surge in hospitals happen uh, you know in the midwest and on the east coast in in the previous uh, weeks and months a lot of those uh, travelers uh, have already left california and, and headed east where the work is uh, so so the, you know there is some talk that uh, staffing could become quite tight you know what what's interesting in california we have um mandated nursing ratios where one nurse may not take care of more than a certain number of patients on a shift. Uh, and so that's, I think, where it starts to pull apart a little bit when, when you suddenly have to expand your intensive care unit into rooms that aren't designed. Now you have intensive care folks uh, taking care of more patients than they normally would. You have them, you know, usually nurses uh, are, are on for something like three days in a row and then off for uh, for several days in a row and so you you, uh, you know you have to start violating that and bringing people in more frequently than they would normally work that creates a lot more uh, fatigue you know these are 12 hour shifts and these people work really really hard for every minute that they're on the job so that's i think where you really start to see this whole system start to get a little creaky when you start having to ask people to to work more days in a row than they than they should be uh, you know when you have to when they have to work you know double shifts or long hours uh, and, and when you start to have a situation where you can't have the people who were properly trained to do that specific work uh, do the work, you have to bring in somebody else who maybe is from a different part of the healthcare system just to fill in temporarily. Mm-hmm. And at the County Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday, uh, there was some discussion of modeling, kind of predicting when things would get you know, at critical levels here. Can you recap some of those models just to give people a sense of when things could get dangerously bad? Right. They came before the Board of Supervisors uh, Tuesday and, and had some very interesting um, charts that they, and graphs that they shared with the Board of Supervisors that indicated that if uh, local behavior doesn't change and people don't start heeding this, uh, this public health order, then uh, you can really expect uh, the ICUs uh, to fill up probably a little before Christmas and the, and the entire hospital capacity by Christmas. Um, you know, there's about a two-week lag between when you get infected and when you might need to be hospitalized. So over the next two weeks, we're gonna be seeing this wave arrive that we really can't prevent. Uh, so so really the models show that if we're going to kind of slow that wave down by Christmas, we all need to really start staying home and, and really heeding these, uh, these precautions no later than Friday of this week. Friday mm-hmm. being about two weeks from, from Christmas. Mm-hmm. And for the hospitals themselves, when are they going to have to make some pretty tough decisions of maybe turning away some people who have scheduled surgeries or things like that? When are they going to have to mitigate what they offer just to make sure they can handle all the COVID patients? 
Right, they've already started some of that. They've they've told us even a you know a couple of weeks ago as the as the hospitalized numbers really started to increase relentlessly uh, that they were were already starting to reschedule some procedures, especially those that they know are likely to put somebody in an ICU bed after a procedure or a surgery. So those they've already been rescheduling. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of transparency on how many procedures have or are being rescheduled. Uh, we know what's happening. We know what's going to become more frequent in the coming days and weeks. Um, you know, even during the, the, you know, the last peak that we had in July, if you look at the charts, they were still treating over 3,000 non-COVID patients at any given time. So there is, you know, just a massive demand out there for, for non-COVID hospital care. Uh, and so there's only so much that they can really reschedule. A lot of it, you know, somebody comes in in an emergency uh, and needs immediate care, and, and you know they you know, they are not going to turn those people away. They're going to just uh, find a way to uh, you know get through as best they can, uh, you know. And I think we're all going to have to be a little patient with uh, with how it unfolds in our hospitals over the next month, just as they scramble to meet this demand with the uh, understanding that some of this is an emergency that really just can't be sent home to wait. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, one of the, you know, more troubling things about COVID-19 is just how long it takes for someone to first know they have the virus from a test and potentially get sick enough to need to be hospitalized. Given that we're seeing this rise in hospitalizations now, how much is our fate sealed? Because we've seen multiple days with cases topping 2,000 when are some of these people who just learned that they got COVID-19 this week likely to be hospitalized? Right. So in two weeks, that's the, that's the, that's what they're saying is, you know, roughly two weeks, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I've heard a fair amount of uh, estimate from, from the governor's office and, and from the head of the uh, health and human services agency that ICU admission intensive care tends to lag hospitalization by about an additional week. So you might say, three weeks for ICU, two weeks for just general hospital beds. Um, so, so that's what, that's what I was saying about Christmas, you know, Christmas is two weeks from Friday. So, you know, all the infections that happen in the rest of this week are likely to arrive on Christmas, you know, right around Christmas time. So, uh, so we're stuck with whatever happened two weeks ago, that's going to start arriving in the next two weeks. Uh, but, but what we can do is stop digging the hole any deeper and, um, you know, start to prevent, you know, the prevention work we do this week will start really taking effect right around Christmas. Mm -hmm. And hypothetically, if everyone were to follow the stay-at-home order perfectly and infections slowed down to a manageable rate, at what point would hospitals finally see relief? Would it still be like, you know, a month from now, more or less? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd really start to see some significant relief again in in that that two-week window as you start to see just fewer people, you know, if you have fewer people getting infected, two or three or five or 6% of them are going to be hospitalized from what our numbers show. So they're just not, you know, if the numbers, if the denominator is lower, the numerator is lower. So, so simply having fewer people getting infected in the community should within a, you know, 14 days or around there start to translate into a, a lower hospitalization rate. You know, there might be a little bit longer shadow, I suppose, for the ICUs, uh, but that's, that's from what I can tell from talking to the modelers and the experts who, who do the math, that, that seems to be what they're saying. Mm-hmm. 
And when it comes to these issues of, you know, hospitalizations, ICUs, there are some plans that the county has for when things do get very dangerous, but they haven't really told us that much yet. Can you explain some of the things that, uh, you know, we haven't had answers to yet? What are the lingering questions that you, uh, you know, asked of Wilma Wooten yesterday, but didn't get a clear answer? Right. Uh, you know, we all want to know what the, um, what the plan is for, for a crisis mode. If we, if we end up in a crisis mode, how is it going to work? Who's going to be given priority for treatment? Who's, who's going to be, you know, asked to receive care in a, in a less than optimal setting. We have this, uh, what, what's nearly a field hospital, a federal medical uh, uh, set up at, uh, at Palomar, uh, Palomar Health Escondido a Hospital, and um, there are 200 and some beds there. Uh, you know, I just had an email exchange with them over the last uh, day and a half or so. Uh, they say that that unit there is really not set up to receive intensive care patients. So the idea that we're going to have uh, COVID patients who who need uh, breathing help, and, and we're going to send them to to this uh, special unit at Palomar uh, where, where they could be served. Um, doesn't really seem like that's going to work out. They, they were saying to me that, you know, we don't have the medical gases plumbed in. Uh, we don't, you know, those cots don't have rails. You need rails for ICU patients. There are all these extremely technical details that I, f- I find just you know, quite fascinating about where you can care for people and, and how you can best do it. So it seems like that... Uh, that unit up at Palomar is probably going to be all about um, handling patients who who might be you know recovering or maybe not quite as severe of a case. Uh, so it doesn't seem like that would necessarily help the ICU. So that's you know that's kind of what we want from the county is you know how 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 do you guys if you start running out of ICU beds, uh, how do you plan on expanding? How do you how do you plan on on handling the staffing needs that you're going to have? What is the plan if this thing really gets as bad as it looks like it's going to get? How are you going to start triaging people by need? You know, just traditionally in, in medicine, uh, you know, physicians are, you know, in a crisis situation where they have scarce resources. They're, they're often forced on a patient-by-patient basis to decide who's going to benefit the most from a given uh, medical intervention. So, uh, you know, that's what we saw in New York uh, in the spring when, when their hospitals were getting overwhelmed. And so one could assume that that's basically what's going to happen here. You know, doctors and, and nurses and, and other uh, smart people are going to have to say, well, you know, this person is younger. This person is generally in better health. So they get the vent, they get the bed, they get what, whatever resource we have uh, because they're more likely to benefit from it than somebody who's older or has some other, uh, you know, coexisting disease that, that might hurt their chances of recovery. And, you know, that's just a situation that, that no healthcare professional really wants to be in. Uh, you know, as we saw in New York, uh, that, that is a, a terrible uh, place to be, uh, you know, and so um, that's the reality that, that we face and, and one that we've tried to avoid with all of these shutdowns for 10 months now. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And uh, just earlier this week, uh, the, um, I forget the agency, but there was a new data release which showed just how full ICU beds are across the country. The New York Times did a really nice story on it. And what you just described is exactly what's folding out in a number of small and medium-sized cities all in the upper Midwest and South. So, you know, San Diego has been kind of behind those trends for whatever reason, but it does seem like our kind of moment of crisis is just coming right in time for Christmas time. Yeah, what a Christmas present! Huh? I mean, and I, you know, I, I was out. Um, 
I was out at Sharp Memorial Hospital in San Diego on Friday. I had a chance to talk to a lot of frontline nurses who have already been in this since the beginning, and they've been in more COVID rooms than they can count. And, and many of them have made it through just with, uh, you know, using their personal protective gear very uh, conscientiously, and hopefully they're going to be getting vaccinated this month. Uh, but, you know, when you look in their eyes, they're tired. Uh, they, they've been in this grind, and they're getting burnt out, and, uh, you know, and now here you go for Christmas, more work. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. It's like almost like that vaccine news was a double-edged sword in which I think people got, saw this as, oh, it's light at the end of the tunnel and took risks that they weren't supposed to. And we're paying the price for that now because the majority of people likely won't be vaccinated until spring or even potentially the summer, depending on supply. So even though there is light at the end of the tunnel, we're still in the tunnel. Yeah, you know, I don't mean to judge. This is tough on everybody. I mean, it's hard for people. Lots of people have lost their jobs. There's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of uh, psychological pain, not getting to see your loved ones. I mean, who who am I to judge one way or the other? You know, that's not certainly not my job. Um, but but you know, uh, the healthcare um, in- industry is certainly pleading for just a little more time. Just buy them a little more time to to work through this surge and, and try not to make it any worse than it than it's going to be already. Um, but, you know, well, we certainly also understand that, that people are struggling out there and, 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 you know, this is an unprecedented situation that we're in. Uh, I'm sure we'll all learn from it and, and hopefully do, do a better job next time. But, uh, you know, this is what you get when you, when you have a, a situation that you've never seen before. Certainly. And uh, a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Paul Sisson, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. During the pandemic, the graphics and data team at the San Diego Union-Tribune has been updating the latest statistics on COVID-19 every day. The UT has partnered with several California newsrooms to better collaborate on stories about COVID-19 in California. The coalition includes the Los Angeles Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, KQED, KPCC, CAP Radio, CalMatters, and Big Local News at Stanford University. To see the latest COVID-19 data, go to uniontrib.com slash tracking coronavirus. And to see some statewide trends, check out the coronavirus tracker on latimes.com. Until next time.